The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Yea, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Well, it's so good to be with you, Sanctuary, and welcome everyone who's joining us online. Uh, if I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is Michael Knapstad, and I work on staff with Mark, and it's, it's really fun. I'm glad that you're here. So one of the most important truths that everyone should learn is that everyone sees the world differently. You might see it in a way that, that is more similar uh, than others or more similar with others. I mean, we have our groups, something like we're trying to be hip tribe, like that's a thing, right? Tribe. I'm over 30, so I don't know. We have our tribe. I think someone sung about that once. Uh, we have our people, but, but even though we have people who we think a lot alike, we still are unique. And ultimately, we still see the world through different lenses. We see situations through different lenses. We all have a lens, a lens that our past situation helped form, a lens that our personality, who we are, what we talk like, how we act, how we dress, that, that helped inform too. A lens that, that the decisions we've made, those who we've surrounded ourselves with, the things that we've done or the things that we've chosen not to do has helped form. You see, we all have a lens in which we see the world. I recently took a personality test because I love personality tests. It's like kind of an addiction, like, okay, how am I now? Like, tell me. But I took this personality test the other day, and this particular, don't ask me what it was because I forgot, but this one shows you the intensity uh, of the different ways that you view a situation, and each, uh, each way ranging from like 1 to 10 in intensity. And now, according to the test, the healthy range uh, is typically anywhere from like one to five. That's, you're in the healthy range. One is like low, high is five. And anything above high is just kind of like unbalanced or unhealthy. And I did fine in most of the categories, except for optimism. <laughs> you see, for me, optimism, I wasn't like a three or a five. I like would be happy with a six or with a seven, but no. I was a 10, <laughs> like a solid, unwavering, unhealthy 10. <laughs> and most might have been upset with this. They might have like felt defeated, but immediately, true story, I took it as like an opportunity for change. And I got like a vision that'll probably lead me down a road of fun where I'll make a lot of new best friends because I see the world through the lens of optimism. And if you don't know what that's like, Remember, try to remember the movie, the first Lego Man movie with the main character who like sing the song, Everything is Awesome. You know, you might remember everyone is cool. Everything is cool when you're part of a team. The lyrics actually go on to say, lost my job. There's a new opportunity, more free time for my awesome community. I am the Lego Man. <laughs> like, I watched that and I was like, what is happening? That's my life. I need to really tone things down <laughs> because I see through the lens of optimism. People laughing loud, they're like, yeah, we're his friend and we know that. <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> but the more I grow, the more I learn that just because I see through this particular lens, 
doesn't mean that I shouldn't evaluate that lens. It doesn't mean that I shouldn't develop that lens, that I can't be influenced by other lenses. Because sometimes the lens that we see things through can keep us from seeing things as they could be or as they even should be. Well, we're in, our week, we're in the week four of our series of Life Without Lack, where we're taking this journey through Psalm 23, written by David. And on this journey, we've, we've seen through the lens of God leading us, that God, like a shepherd before his sheep, that God has gone before us. But in our text for today, though we've learned that God is leading us and that God goes before us, we'll read that he's not just in front, but he's also following us, that God is also behind us. And we can see this through noticing a few of his just kind of like inseparable characteristics. The text for today says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. And because we're, we're, and we're talking about lenses today, the reason we're doing that is because often, like, yes, I see through optimism, but often, honestly, when I take a, a deep investigation of my own soul and my heart, when I read verses like this, my initial gut response is, but what about the times when I can't see goodness and mercy? God, what about the times when all I can see is the bad or the darkness and just because you go to church, just because you are a Christian, because you follow Jesus, does not mean that you should push those questions away. Those are real questions. They're important questions. And we all share in different types of questions like this. And because it's important, we're going to talk about that today. And the reality is, what Scripture is trying to tell us is that when we are able to see goodness and mercy, see through that lens in our circumstances, then we'll have the ability to lead a life without lack. Today, we're going to be talking about the importance of readjusting our lenses. Now, to begin, going back to our text, I want to pick out a word, the word in the text that says, follow. Because it's really, really important to understand what that word follow means here. Now, the word in English, as all of us probably know, typically means submitting to the direction of the leader. Like when you were younger and you played follow the leader, and I always did like the weird paths and like lost everyone because I'm all over the place most of the time. But following someone in English, that's what it means. They're going in the direction. But, but in this passage, this word follow, in the original word, it means something, it, it, the word is radath, and that word is important because it means to pursue, to set off after someone in order to catch them. So here, David is saying that no matter where we go or what we go through, no matter the dark valleys or, or, or our enemies, goodness and mercy are pursuing us relentlessly trying to catch us. Goodness and mercy are pursuing you right now, trying to catch you. But often it's hard to let goodness and mercy catch us if we can't see them 
pursuing us if we're not aware that goodness and mercy are pursuing us. And in order for us to see them, in order for us to readjust our lens, we need to be able to know what they are and how to see them. We're going back to the basics today, and we're talking about goodness and mercy. And I want to do that by answering this kind of big question, what is goodness and what is mercy, and how can we see them? So that's what we're going to do. So let's break that down. I want to begin with the first question, what is goodness and how can we see it? Now, most of us probably know this, but goodness, just to air it out, goodness uh, typically means that which is morally excellent, kind, and virtuous. And here's the thing. The Bible is full of examples of goodness because you can't separate goodness from God. And Jesus even talks about this. In a conversation with a rich young ruler, the rich young ruler said to Jesus, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And then Jesus responds by saying, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good, and that one is God. And you see, Jesus knew that. Jesus, to Jesus, God, which was also himself, God is the definition of good. God is good. So, um, looking at these scriptures and going in, going in line with that thought, if God is the definition of good, then everything else that can be viewed as good is simply a reflection of the source that it came from, which is God. And that's why the Bible says everything God created is good. And we can see that in the first two chapters of the entire Bible in the book of Genesis. At the beginning of all, all things, God created everything, and God saw that his creation was good. And if you've read these chapters, if you're familiar with the story, you would know that God created light and saw that it was good. God created land and seas and saw that it was good. Yep, God created it. We're a pres Presbyterian church, but sometimes we'll do a call and response. <laughs> this is the one time we'll do a call and response. <laughs> God created trees and plants in night and day, all creatures, and God saw that it was good. There we go. God created humanity and saw that humanity was good. A plus. <laughs> you see, God created us as good and all that he saw as good and then told us how to live in a way that was good. And we did for a while. But then something happened. You see, God told Adam and Eve, he warned them of the bad that sin would bring. That if we were to sin, death would infect this world but that was good, but we didn't listen. You see, we confused what is good with what is bad, and we sinned. And since then, yes, goodness and mercy pursue us, but since then, death has been pursuing us. Sin has been pursuing us. And here's the thing, it's distorted the lens in which we see the world. That's why the Bible says they have eyes to see, but do not see, and have ears to hear, but do not hear, for they are a rebellious people. After those first few chapters of the Bible, we read story after story 
after story of, of humanity struggling to put on God's glasses and see how he sees. And for thousands and thousands of years after that moment in Genesis, we, uh, for thousands and thousands of years, the lens in which we see the world has continued to be distorted. And we've continued to confuse what is good with what is bad, which brings us to Paul. Now, Paul, uh, he enters the scene in the New Testament as Saul. In the Bible, you like get different names sometimes, which is kind of a cool thing. But after the Gospels, Paul was Saul, and he is introduced in, uh, in the book of Acts, which is right after the Gospels. And now in the world, just this is the context of the beginning of Acts and, and how it deals with uh, Saul. Saul, like in the world of super, super good religious people, he was like one of the top people. He was one of the best. You see, back then, it was seen as religiously good to physically persecute some who saw different than you. That was seen as religiously good. And we have this early church, the first Christians, they saw Jesus as God, which frustrated the good Jews like Saul. So, being the good Jew, Saul persecuted them and saw many Christians to be killed. And here's the thing, if you were seen through the eyes of Saul, you had have seen that everything that you were doing was good. But then something happened. Acts says, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? You see, Jesus showed up and asked Saul why he was persecuting him, why he was having trouble seeing what was actually good, because what was actually good came from God, and Saul was persecuting God. So what happened? God blinded him with a light. And the interesting thing is that in a way he was just mimicking the blindness that he already saw. And for three days after this encounter with Jesus, while Saul remained blind internally, something was happening. The lens in which he viewed the world internally started to change. And after three days, Saul was in a room, and this man named Ananias came to Saul. Ananias put his hands on Saul's eyes, and then the Bible says that something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he began to see again, only this time through a different lens. You see, Saul began to see that Jesus was good. Saul began to see that Jesus was God. Saul began to see that Jesus came to save the world, that Jesus was the Messiah. Saul began to see the early church not as enemies, but as friends, as family. When the scales, of his, the scales fell off of his eyes, Saul began to see the good. And it changed his life. He never saw the same, which begs the question, what are your scales? What's blocking you from seeing the good in your life? Is it hurt? 
Is it fear? Is there suffering? Are you lonely? The first thing that God said in the Bible when he was creating everything and saw everything was good, was good, was good. The very first thing that God said was not good was when Adam was alone. So I want to get really serious right now. If you are experiencing loneliness, God says that that is not good. He loves you. And like Adam, God wants to help you through it. And, and, and a good way to start, there's a lot of ways that you can go about this, but a good way to start is honestly just getting involved in a community like this. But what are your scales? What's causing you from seeing the good, especially in circumstances that seem bad? And what would readjusting the lens in which you see things through look like? Because if God is always with us, so is good. Your situation is redeemable because God, who is the Redeemer, is with you in your situation. But often, but often, sin or the bad, they can blind us from seeing the good. They can keep us from seeing the hope, and it can leave us viewing God differently. It can view us or keep us from viewing God as one who doesn't care, as one who isn't really present as one who's kind of distant and far off and uninvolved when that couldn't be farther from the truth. But sometimes, but sometimes, and we all know this, we can go through situations that just seem bad. We can go through situations that, that are dark, that we can hardly see, and our only option may be to cling on to the hope that good will one day come. There's this time when David, the writer of Psalm 23, uh, when he was fleeing for his life from King Saul, who was in the Old Testament, and David found that the only way that he could save his life was for him to live in a dark cave. I mean, he had really two options. He could either live in this dirty, uncomfortable, lonely, dark cave, or he could die. And to top it all off, here's the thing. David was innocent. David didn't deserve to be treated the way that he was. David was a victim and in the cave when it would have been normal to lose sight or hope of the good David cried out to God and said, listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. You see, David was in a cave and he still didn't lose sight of the hope that God was good because Seeing that God is good often requires us to see past what's in front of us. I mean, it's easy for us to see God is good when everything around us is going well. Like, yeah, life is good. God is good. But when life takes a turn and life isn't that good, often it's hard to see that God is good. And in that moment, kind of what Ashley was saying during worship, in that moment, there's an invitation for us to put on a lens to see past Another way of thinking about it is to put on a lens of faith, to trust that God is here even when we can't see, which is the definition that the Bible gives us of 
faith. Typically, uh, when a shepherd leads his sheep through a valley, uh, he has a few shepherd dogs or, or a few of his uh, helpers just following behind at the very, very, very back. Because sometimes dangerous predators can stalk the sheep from behind. And, and they can do this like when, in the shadows when it's, when it's really hard to see. So here's what Psalm 23 is saying, that, when, that as God leads us, as he's in the front, we don't need to worry about what stalks in the shadows behind us because his goodness and his mercy are there to fight off anything that we can't see. And since to David, God's goodness and mercy were known as like inseparable characteristics of, God, characteristics of God, David is saying that God is not just in front of you, where you can see, like where you can just experience. God's not just there. He's not just leading you, but he's behind you. He's beside you. God's all around you in every situation, in every cave and in every mountaintop experience, you are surrounded by God. The Bible says, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people, both now and forevermore. And we have the invitation to change the lens in which we see every circumstance to align to that reality, that even when you're in the dark cave of your circumstance, you can see past to see hope to be able to see that God will make a way out to become people who see in the dark. Which brings me to the last question. What is mercy and how can we see it? Now, just to air it out, and if you didn't know what mercy was, mercy is, means to show compassion by pardoning, forgiving someone's punishment. And the Bible is full of stories of mercy. In the book of Genesis, kind of near the end, when Joseph, he was, a, he was one of the main characters near the end, uh, he was, when he was younger, he became well acquainted with suffering, mostly because he had brothers. <laughs> and if you have brothers, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, my brothers and I, we were really, really, really terrible to each other. We were the worst. Uh, there were three of us, and uh, for just a period of time when we were younger, we thought it was the best idea ever. I wish this wasn't a true story. To, for two of us to gang up on the one brother by surprising them and then tying them up and then throwing them in a the field and just leaving them there. <laughs> like, we, we actually did that. <laughs> because brothers are the worst. <laughs> and I honestly still can't remember the time that my brothers did that to me. My family talks about it because, like, you guys were stupid. And I'm like, I, I remember doing that to my older brother and my younger brother, but I literally don't remember that in my memory. And I kind of view it as, like, a little Easter egg hunt that a counselor might find someday. <laughs> we'll see what happens. I'll let you know. <laughs> yeah, uh, I messed up. But um, Joseph's brothers... They did the same thing to him. <laughs> they ganged up on him. They threw him in a field, in a hole. But they didn't just leave him there. They sold him into slavery, which is where his suffering began. But here's the thing. Before Joseph suffered, he dreamed of the end of his story. He dreamed the moment his brothers would bow down to him. He knew that it was going to happen. It was the moment that he would have mercy on them. 
that he would pardon them from the bad that they did. It was the moment that he would save their lives. But before this happened, Joseph went through rejection, false accusations, and misery. And the Bible doesn't really talk about this, but I bet that his dream of the end of his story sustained him through his hardships. And just like Joseph dreamed the end of his story, God has shown you yours. That we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. As Psalm 23 ends, that we will be with God and that sin and death will be no more. And and some of us right now, we're experiencing rejection, false accusations, and misery. You're in a cave that's dark and you can't see what's next, but this is when we can take hope because God has shown us the end of our story. And seeing this can sustain us through whatever darkness we face because Jesus made a way out of the dark. And he did that by going through rejection, false accusations, and misery. And in the greatest example of mercy that this world has ever known, when we were dead in our sins, Jesus had mercy on us and pardoned our sins on the cross. You see, he died for the bad that we've done so that we can live in the good that we were created to live in. And since then, like Psalm 23 says, he's been pursuing us with his goodness and his mercy like a high-speed chase. Like an athlete at a race, God has been relentlessly pursuing you. And all you have to do is let him catch you. Whether you're in a cave or a valley or you're lonely, hurt, afraid, confused, tired, anxious, doubting, dirty, ashamed, even though you might see it, God is chasing you. And because of that, like the Bible says, we are invited to fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. God has shown you the end of your story. But it's really not an end. It's a beginning. And it's good. And my invitation for you tonight is to let goodness and mercy catch you, to let it embrace you and let it change you and to begin to see your circumstances and the hope of what lies before you through a relentless and redemptive, mercy-filled, good-filled, loved-filled lens because seeing the world that way will change your life. Let's pray. God, I don't know what, and I'll never know probably what it's like for you to think of all of us out of love to create us, call it good, 
create this world, call it good, create animals, create everything and call it good, and then walk next to us and say, do the good that I do, follow me, and then we didn't. I don't know what that would be like, God. And then we just have struggled and struggled and sinned and fallen away from you, and you're still with us like a good father saying, it's okay. I love you. I don't see the bad that you've done. I've seen the good of who you are because I'm in you and I love you. And Jesus, there are some here right now tonight that I know do not see themselves as good. Do not see their past as good. Do not see who they are right now as good or their future as good. There's no hope. They're in a cave. It's dark. Jesus, by your goodness, light up their eyes. Help them see. Help us see and help us know that you are good. And Jesus, I love that everything in the entire Bible pointed to the cross. That it was the day that your mercy triumphed, God, over judgment. And then after that, three days later, you rose again, defeating death, defeating sin, defeating the bad in us, saying that they are my good children that I love. I'm going to be with them. They're going to be with me. I'm going to redeem their situations. And that is true for us tonight, Jesus. So I pray during these next few songs that we're going to sing, God, that we experience tangible life change because the life changer is in our midst. Be with us change us. Let us know of your goodness in a way that we have never experienced it or never known of it before, God. We love you. And in your name we pray. Amen.